Alrighty, everybody. I would like to welcome you to a new podcast that I'm going to be making. I really haven't come up with a name at all yet because I very recently just decided to click record and get on camera. Um, I'm really into music and politics and I really am very interested in these things to the extent of getting very heated about particularly politics. And so I think um, I felt the need, I felt the interest because you know, we'll, we'll kind of lay the groundwork for some of my views uh, for anybody that is interested in listening to this. Uh, even if you're not, I'm just going to fucking do it anyway. <laughs> um, and so I I found, I stumbled across a video um, from PragerU called Why Did the Democratic South Become Republican? I have very strong opinions about this, which I'm sure will come out when I begin watching this video and analyzing it, but I, would, I was just curious. I don't think I've ever seen this video. It's from 2017. Um, I guess I should give some background on this particular issue. The Democratic South, in the traditional sense, was the slave-owning, slave-supporting, slavery-supporting South. Um, you know, they appealed at the time, way back in the day, the Democrats really were pro-slavery because they were appealing to that Southern base. And that all very much changed in the eyes of many, like, modern liberals and leftists and people that would, you know, vote for the Democratic Party when LBJ and JFK sort of began saying, okay, we actually do embrace these civil rights issues, and LBJ being particularly sort of strong on that because he was able to sign the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act. And so pretty much ever since, uh, all the Southern Democrats that were like traditionally supporting the Democrats because they thought that they would uphold uh, a separate versus equal and things of that nature and other Jim Crow laws were pretty um, disillusioned, I guess, by LBJ because it was like, what the fuck? Like, you're literally acting in our non-interests of wanting to be racist and wanting to segregate Black people from our communities. So... Regardless of anything Nixon had said about this issue, uh, even if, like, let's say Nixon wasn't, you know, racist, uh, it didn't really matter. I mean, it, people at this time in history weren't really necessarily thinking about politics in the way that we do. So the things that got any one individual, and obviously this is just my opinion, the things that got any one individual to you know, vote for one candidate over the other was really, you know, a bunch of one, uh, it, like one person, what's the, a bunch of one issue voters, you know, sort of being coerced and not, maybe not coerced, but, you know, wined and dined by whichever politician they feel, you know, can, can check that box of that issue that they care about. And so I feel that whether directly or indirectly, the reason that we've had this flip between what the Democratic Party and what the Republican Party tend to support very much is related to the Civil Rights Act with LBJ and Nixon coming in shortly after. (laughs) 
Like, he followed LBJ, for those that don't know. Nixon won by pretty much a landslide, talking about law and order. And, uh, you know, he was a very popular candidate until he realized that his policies and his politics weren't necessarily the favorite of the, you know, country. Um, I'm sorry, I am eating while I am recording this. I, I do apologize. Mm. <laughs> and so he tried to spy on the Democrats. And we all know how that worked out. And so, really, I think Nixon was what sparked the Southern strategy, and I'm really not the only person to have said something like that. This is not a new idea. The Southern strategy has been very much researched and discussed in academia, as well as just in people's social lives and on the me- in the media, of course, um, because it really did make that switch. Now, of course, a lot of modern Republicans will get really frustrated about that because they feel that it implies that they must all feel that way and they must all not like the Civil Rights Act and they must all be racist. And I would understand that because, yes, today, modernly, racism is a very, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a big, we, we recognize it as a horrible thing, as an evil thing. And so to be called racist by any sort of distinction or indirectly or directly by any affiliation is very, you know, it's it's a big accusation. It really is. So I think what frustrates me, though, about that is I've met a lot of conservatives uh, and particularly of the libertarian genre that will say things like, well, the Civil Rights Act is unconstitutional because... It's, you know, a federal law that, like, imposes too many restrictions on the employer, which ideologically uh, for conservatives, tend to, you know, tending to be on the right, tending to be more uh, don't tread on me, more individualistic about money and social issues like that, they do feel like, that. I mean, that would be ideologically consistent that they would feel, okay, you know, you can't force an employer to not discriminate, <laughs> But what I think is missed in that is that's that exactly what I just said. You know what I mean? They're they're advocating so that the employer can discriminate. It's 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 one thing for you to say that that law is an overreach of power, but what is that overreach doing? You know what I mean? What what would happen and what had happened before this existed? And anyway, so. I think we should get into this PragerU video. I, I'm sure as soon as it starts, I'm going to have shit and I'm going to pause and I'm going to have to say shit. But yeah, I'm just going to get get right into it. I'm going to make sure I'm still recording and I definitely am. Okay. And uh, yeah, let's start this. You guys are only going to hear it, unfortunately. If you're interested in like watching it along or watching it before or after this, it's Why Did the Democratic South Become Republican by PragerU. It was published in July Oh, excuse me, July of 2017, and I'm going to start it right now. Once upon a time, every student of history, and that meant pretty much everyone. So they got Carol Swain, professor of political science and law at Vanderbilt University, talking about this. Um, (laughs) 
Uh, Carol is an African-American woman, which is amazing, you know, go you. Uh, but it is interesting that PragerU chose to discuss this topic of the Democratic South becoming Republican by having an African-American woman discuss it. One with a high school education knew this. The Democratic Party was the party of slavery and Jim Crow, mm-hmm. and the Republican Party was the party of emancipation and racial integration. So I haven't started Democrats lying. were the Confederacy, and Republicans were the Union. Jim Crow Democrats were dominant in the South, and socially tolerant Republicans were dominant in the North. But then, in the 1960s and 70s, everything mm-hmm. supposedly flipped. Suddenly, the Republicans became the racists, and the Democrats became the champions of civil rights. Suddenly. Fabricated by left-leaning academic elites and journalists, the story went like this. Republicans couldn't win a national election by appealing to the better nature of the country. They could only win by appealing to the worse. Attributed to Richard Nixon, the media's all-purpose bad guy, this came to be known as the Southern strategy. It was very simple. Win elections by winning the South. And to win the South, appeal to racists. So the Republicans, the party of Lincoln, were to now be labeled the party of rednecks. But this story of the two parties switching identities is a myth. In fact, Mm. it's three myths wrapped into one false narrative. Let's take a brief look at each myth in turn. Mm. Myth number one, in order to be competitive in the South, Republicans started to pander to white races in the 1960s. Fact, Republicans actually became competitive in the South as early as 1928 when Republican Herbert Hoover won over 47% of the South's popular vote against Democrat Al Smith. In 1952, Republican President Dwight Eisenhower won the southern states of Tennessee, Florida, and Virginia. And in 1956, he picked up Louisiana, Kentucky, and West Virginia, too. And that was after he supported the Supreme Court decision in Brown versus Board of Education that desegregated public schools and after he sent the 101st Airborne to Little Rock Central High School to enforce integration. Myth number two, Southern Democrats angry with the Civil Rights Act of 1964 switched parties. Fact, of the 21 Democratic senators who opposed the Civil Rights Act, just one became a Republican. Oh my God, don't. They literally are only talking about the senators right now. Like, I think you're freaking stupid if you don't understand that politics, that's how it works. Democrats are not going to want to be on the losing side, just as much as Republicans don't want to be on the losing side. I'm going to say it right now. I mean, we're talking about marijuana legalization and decriminalization at the moment in the country. I feel like that issue, regardless of how hard Republicans fight against it, like in the future, it's not going to make, like, let's say Republicans embraced that. It's not going to make any of those Republicans like flip to the Democratic Party. But even if it did, even if, you know, people in Congress flipped parties, that doesn't mean that the general population and the voting bloc doesn't flip you know i mean they they might keep that ideology that that's how their brains might be functioning on that issue 
Um, and so we can talk about the technical, like, specifics of, like, oh, well, they're not really a racist party. Well, yeah, of course, you know, that's, that's my argument, too. But you can't deny that just as much as there are people on the Democratic left side that would advocate for, you know, a full-scale revolution uh, into communism, there are plenty of people in the Republican Party that would advocate for a regression to where we were in the 1950s and before. So even though that obviously doesn't, you know, make up for the entire population and doesn't, you know, reflect what they all believe, it's definitely an extreme that exists. Or both of these are extremes that exist. So yeah, don't be talking about the, you know, congressmen or women and and saying that, you know, that represents, uh, you know, political shifts in the world. The other 20 continued to be elected as Democrats or were replaced by other Democrats. On average, those 20 seats didn't go Republican for another two and a half decades. Myth number three. Since the implementation of the Southern strategy, the Republicans have dominated the South. Fact, Richard Nixon, the man who is often credited with creating the Southern strategy, lost the Deep South in 1968. In contrast, Democrat Jimmy Carter nearly swept the region in 1976, 12 years after the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And in 1992, over 28 years later, Democrat Bill Clinton won Georgia, Louisiana, Arkansas, Tennessee, Kentucky, and West Virginia. The truth is, Republicans didn't hold a majority of Southern congressional seats until 1994, 30 years after the Civil Rights Act. As Kevin Williamson of National Review writes, if Southern rednecks ditched the Democrats because of a civil rights law passed in 1964... Oh my God. Presidential flips that reflect party changes and ideas are much more representative of this shift. You know, because at the end of the day, I mean, we just, as a country, voted Trump out. You know what I mean? We all, like, 80 million people voted for Biden. And so Biden is going to win. I mean, he got not only the popular vote, he got the Electoral College as well, pretty handily. Like, more than even Trump did in 2016. So... I think what frustrates me about this is that when we, you know, ousted Trump, it wasn't so much because, you know, Trump's ideologies had changed or the Republican ideology had changed either. Like, there were plenty of Republicans who also didn't like Trump, and those people helped to vote him out. It doesn't mean that those people are then going to, like, jump ship to the Democratic Party because they are going to remain loyal to the Republicans because that's been the political strategy that they've had. I mean, that's how they've been, uh, you know, going up the ladder. Like, you know, there's there's it's really hard for you to, like, maintain uh, clout, I guess, among your voter base if you jump shit and go to a different party. Like, no, if the, if there were ever a Democrat that became a Republican, they'd be, like, out, you know, they'd be shunned. I mean, there would be no respect, you know what I mean? And it would be the exact same thing if it were flipped. And so, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that people, like, abandoned their political party affiliation because there are more reasons, of course, than just race that people would pick any one party. 
but and that's always been the case even during the height of the civil rights movement that was the case um and you know because you see it today i mean race is obviously still being discussed but that doesn't mean that people who care about the um you know police brutality and you know issues in that nature that are going on you know that doesn't mean that those, some of those people aren't still republicans and still voting that way you know i know plenty of them and uh, there's even black people that that's how they feel. So, I mean, I think uh, it's not so much like people are saying, and I think I've already kind of alluded to this in this uh, episode, but it's not like race was the entire deciding factor of the switch. It was part of it. It was just those people becoming disenfranchised and upset with the Democratic Party. You know, it was, yeah, like they... The Democratic Party no longer stood for segregation. Like, that's a pretty dramatic flip for them. (laughs) And so, if there's going to be one party that stands in opposition, particularly with people like Barry Goldwater saying that the Civil Rights Act should be repealed back in the day because it was a, you know, like I said, too much government control, you know, which one do you think that the people that would agree with something like that are going to pick? The Democrats who want to keep the Civil Rights Act or the Republicans who have flirted with getting rid of it? And I mean, that's pretty basic to Republican ideology. I mean, when you talk about multiple policies and bills that have been passed, when you talk like, not only is the Civil Rights Act, but also the Voting Rights Act, you know, the ERA, Roe v. Wade, Obergefell versus Hodges, you know, these are all things that Republicans have discussed getting rid of and revoking and, you know, repealing because, oh, that's too much government power. That's too, you know, you're forcing people to think some kind of way. And it's just like, no, I mean, what Obergefell versus Hodges allows for is the is marriage equality, is people to become married in a same-sex union. And so it's the exact same with, you know, that doesn't mean that, okay, you know, everybody now has to, like, be gay married. Like, it just means that those who want to can. It's the exact same thing with Roe v. Wade. It's the exact same thing with the Civil Rights Act, to be completely honest. I mean, it's still sort of... I don't even know, maybe not with the Civil Rights Act, but you you get my drift. I mean, Republicans just don't want the government making laws and telling them what to do. And I mean, it's really that simple. <sighs> She's bringing up a lot of good points in this video, though, I gotta say. I mean, there's definitely plenty here that, yeah, like, okay, that's pretty convincing, you know, but... The reality is, I mean, you keep talking about, oh, uh, Clinton and Carter and, you know, those, that time. It's like, well, at that time, Democrats and Republicans could be racist. I mean, it wasn't like, I think, I think we're still, I think that's still the case. I think that can still exist. But because we had a black president that was a Democrat that stood for all these Democratic issues, very few of the people that voted for the Democratic Party at that time were going to be racist because it's like to be racist would mean that you didn't think that a black man could run this country. <laughs> and that's absurd. You know, most even modern Americans on both I mean, on both sides really would feel that way. But for those the minority increasingly that do feel that way, um, they definitely, you know, weren't voting for Obama. You know, I should get back into those. It is strange that they waited until the late 1980s and early 1990s to do so. They say things move slower in the South, but not that slow. (laughs) 
So what really happened? Why does the South now vote overwhelmingly Republican? Because the South itself has changed. Its values have changed. The racism that once defined it doesn't anymore. Its <laughs> values today are conservative ones, pro-life, pro-gun, and pro-small government. And here's the proof. Uh, pro-life. Pro-life. Pro and pro pro-life a tyrannical law <laughs> literally and and pro small government obviously because they love uh not having big tyrannical laws of course oh but they're so pro-gun because they're so pro small government but at the exact same time they're pro-life like if those are the three values that come to mind when you think republican party like i don't know why the fuck that makes sense to you i don't know why the fuck that would be appealing that's so ridiculous. ...small government. And here's the proof. Southern whites are far more likely to vote for a black conservative like Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina than a white liberal. In short, <laughs> history has moved on. Like other regions of the country, the South votes values, not skin color. Okay, there is something to be said for Southern Republicans would rather vote for an African-American conservative over a white liberal. Like, I get it. I mean, I really do. But at the exact same time, that doesn't make, like, I think one of the things about this topic that's particularly important to bring up as well is that the switch in history is so unimportant. Like, the, pol the parties literally are switching constantly, bro. Like, before Reagan was president, he was pro-choice with abortion. Because, you know... Republicans liked small government and they claim to still like small government. And so I still don't understand why they've all of a sudden made this switch to being pro-life. I mean, it really, you have to understand it's because they, they support being pro-small government because of the narrative of, well, people that are religious or, you know, want to fund their own education, don't want to be like told and given some like specific narrative or specific thing to be like learn and be educated by. But then those same people will rally behind pro-life laws that literally take other people's rights away. And so while we can debate, you know, the ethics and morality of abortion, it's literally, you know, antithetical to the Republican basis and, you know, a dialogue that they would be pro-life. Like, it makes absolutely no sense to me. In fact, ideologically, because yes, I'll even concede that the left tends to want, you know, more government influence and more, you know, big government programs and things, you would think it would be people on the left trying to get abortion, you know, banned because it would, you know, be bad, you know, and that's, that's killing babies and the government should come in and ban this, you know. So, I mean, you guys also have to think, like, the reason that they talk about being pro-gun and pro-life so often is because they're appealing to people that do live on their own, individualistically, say, in the South, you know, the South isn't, like, super densely populated in, like, the more, like, the non-city areas, I'll say, um... And so there's a lot of people that have a gun, you know, are religious. And so they're sitting there like, well, I don't want them to take my gun away, but I don't want, you know, Susie Q to get an abortion when she accidentally, you know, gets knocked up like and she's like fucking 19 or something. So it's just like. Really, the conversation is to which extent do we want government control 
And, you know, because the government's not going to be out of our lives. Like, the government's very much in our lives. In fact, most of the time when you hear people talking about wanting a small government, excuse me, ooh, I'm burping and sneezing and shit. Um, they want a small government until it comes to their views, their their ideologies and what they can tell other people to do. And I just don't understand. Like, it's so hypocritical. It's It doesn't make any sense. Like, you can talk all day about how the Democrats and the left, like, want to put us into bankruptcy because of healthcare and the Green New Deal and shit. But, you know, at least we're coming up with ideas and solutions and we're not just appealing to people's fears or, you know, what makes them uncomfy, you know? That pretty much is the Republican Party. Like, no solutions, all orders, all laws. The myth of the Southern strategy is just the Democrats' excuse for losing the South. And yet another way to smear Republicans with the labor racists. Don't buy it. I'm Carol Swain, professor of political science and law at Vanderbilt University for Prager University. Thanks for watching. To keep our videos... Okay. <laughs> I watched it. Um, I got pretty much all my thoughts out about it. Um, yeah. I think I'm just going to leave it there for today. That's, that'll be episode one, right around 25 minutes. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed. Um, if you got angry, I understand. I mean, I've got pretty left of center beliefs uh and i don't really think i clarified that before getting into it i just started ta shit talking republicans um <laughs> but uh yeah i hope everybody enjoyed and if you want to listen to more you know come back for more uh yeah have a great day week afternoon morning and i will see you guys next time